Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crosstown. It's great to have you here today. Man, I'm excited about today. Um, if, you were, if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to download the messages. I say this all the time. Not all my messages are any good, but uh, this one was. And if you were here at the second service, the one that we've, download, that we've uploaded for you to download does not have cuss words in it. Um, and you're, I know you're wondering what could have possibly happened during the second service. I, there was a little bit of a slip up, uh, and I got a little too excited, so we have cleaned it up. But I tell you, you have got to download it and listen to it, uh, because it really, really was something I believe God spoke prophetically to us. You know, we've been talking about how we've been created in the image of God and that we've been created to have a manifesto. Not just a creed, not just a belief system, those are all cool, not just good morals, but rather there's something with a little bit of force to it, something with life to it, something that has the ability to drive a hammer or to, to lay the beam of a foundation of a house, of a marriage, of a life. And so God has really been challenging us about this manifesto issue, and we've been following a man named Nehemiah who was in a culture like ours that was broken. Um, even their, their spiritual direction was kind of disrupted. And so he went back to a city of Jerusalem to rebuild what was broken down and to, and to reestablish what God had intended for their lives. And he had to go back and to build the walls, and he got authority from the king to do it. And we learned last week that the workers all put their hands to the good work. It wasn't just any work that they were doing, and it wasn't just that they were doing work or they believed in the work. They put their hands to the good work. It wasn't just a group of people like the Bible Belt that we have where we, where we have a bunch of creeds and belief systems and, and maybe some propriety based upon old ways of living life but rather they actually put their hands to their faith. They put the building of their lives to what they believed. They put their hands to the good work. So they established the work of God and what he was doing. They consecrated their lives. They laid the beams of God's foundations for their lives and that they began the process of building what God wanted them to build, the future. And I believe we learned from it that God is challenging us to create the future he wants for us. I know, that, I know for some of us Christians, this sounds kind of new age-ish. The idea that I'm going to speak it into existence. I'm not really that guy. Um, but rather, what we're doing is, is we're combining ourselves with the intentionality of God. When God said in creation, let it there be, and he begins to create, and he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. All we're doing is, is conjoining ourselves with the manifesto of God. That God said that we are created in his image and that we're supposed to create with the same let it be authority and it is good result. So that my marriage is not something that just happens. A good family is not just something I kind of hope will turn out to be good in some sort of fatalistic way. But rather it is something I'm supposed to put my hand to. It's, it's a good work. It is the work of God that I'm supposed to be doing in the life of my family. But this week, part of the rebuilding of the walls was doing the work of the construction. But there was another type of work that needed to be done. And it was the work that was being done simultaneously while the walls were being built. And what that work was, was protecting the work. You know, there's, 
there's a few products that have kind of caught my eye. Commercials. I'm, I, I, I love really cool commercials, especially when they're done really well. And I mean, I'm just into that. And I can come from a commercial and run out the, the door and go buy the object or whatever it is. I mean, I can be motivated. If, 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 the, if the commercial's good enough, I will jump in the car and I will go and get that thing. Well, there's... There's this one commercial that really fired me up years ago. And when Under Armour was just trying to make its move on the scene, and there's this giant Nike corporation that pretty much owns all of the sports equipment and clothing, they made their first appearance on the national platform, and they did it with this incredibly passionate commercial. Maybe you, you already know which one I'm talking about. But this commercial was not just a commercial. It was a manifesto. And I want you to hear it. We started this thing. And now we're on top. Everybody's trying to knock us off. It's us versus them. We must protect this We must protect this house! I mean, I am wearing Under Armour today and every day of my life because of that commercial. But what an incredible manifesto. You may not be a jock, and, but the idea of being passionate about protecting your house should resonate with every one of us. Just imagine what life would be if you had a father who was passionate about protecting the quality and the nature of his house. Imagine what it would be like to have a mother who was passionate and was willing to protect her house, a husband, a wife, a church, a community, or a country that was just incredibly passionate about protecting their house. I will protect this house! Now, matter of fact, I, I, I want to I see who's capable of this, all right? No, don't worry, I'm not going to pick you out because some of you are already getting nervous. But I've got a $25 gift certificate that will be a gift from me and my wife to you if you, with passion, will yell out, we must protect this house. Okay, and let me make sure it's worth, worth doing because, oh, it's the targets. Oh, oh, everybody's on board. Now, I can see if it was Home Depot, you might not go for it. It's like, I don't own a house. We got targets here. I, I want to pick three people that will compete against each other, and I'm going to give you the microphone, and I need to hear it. Anybody want to give it a shot? It's like, come on. Okay, oh, I could. I got one. Okay, could you come on? Could you come on up? Thanks. I've got another one. No, you cannot volunteer. Uh, come on, come on up. Yes, come on up. You cannot volunteer. Somebody else. We shall protect this house. Come on. It's got to be one other person like Brian Sense. Brian Sense, come on. No, you've got to come. And I tell you, I will come to you if you don't come to me. <laughs> See, there are those precious few that are my friends that I do stuff like this too. Okay, guys, the $25 gift certificate. Okay, I don't want to hear anything like, I will secure this domicile. Okay, I don't want to hear anything like this. We must, I'll let you go last. We will protect this house. Jeff, let me start with you. 
We will protect we will this house. No, not pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. We must protect this house. There we go. Okay. All right. All right, buddy. You got. You got. It. All right. Here we go. <laughs> go. Okay. We must, we protect, must protect this house. house. Whoa. Pretty good. All right, guy. Oh no, we got a new contender. Oh, I love it. I love it. This is. This is. We'll, I love this stuff. I love it. <laughs> go ahead. It was. It was a rousing group, not just one. So everyone was. Oh, oh, here we go. Oh, a clap, a clap. here we go. We must protect this house. Well, right, here we go. There we go. Oh my goodness, let's get it. You guys are gonna have to vote. Let me hear Ron. Let me hear the vote here. Go, go. Okay, okay. He's got knocked. That's all right. That's right. Let me hear this vote over here. Okay, no, I can't believe it. Look, come on. Everybody's a winner. Uh, there we go. There we go. Everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. Okay. All right, thank you so much. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go with this young lady here. All right, thank you so much. Because he does not root for the Patriots, and that's the only reason why that happened. That's the only reason that happened. Thank you so much, Robbie, for jumping up like that. I appreciate that. Uh, see, guys, I, I know you may think that's crazy, uh, but you know what? Do you know what that kind of passion of a dad can have on the effect of an eight-year-old boy, when that boy knows that dad will do whatever's necessary to protect his house, when mom is willing to do whatever's necessary, when a, can you imagine the effect on a wife's heart when she knows that her husband will be willing to do whatever it takes to protect the house? You know, people have said to me in the past, it's like, well, Pastor Paul, why do you got porn, anti-porn software on your, on your phone and on your computers and all the other stuff? Because I must protect this house. I've got to protect my marriage. I've got to protect what's going on in my own personal life. And I've got to make that decision. And this is what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, we have to protect this house. Let me read it to you, Nehemiah 4. Now it came about when Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Astrodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Okay, they got really upset. And all of them conspired together to fight, to come and fight against Jerusalem and Nehemiah and this God work and to cause a disturbance in it. The enemies were trying everything to stop Israel from succeeding. You know, not everybody was on board with it. So they decided that they were going to go against the work of God. So they tried everything. They tried discouragement. They would stand outside the walls while the builders were building. I mean, this is so, so petty. But they would stand outside while the workers were working. They would say things like this. They, said, they would say, are these feeble Jews doing this work, will they restore it from themselves? Can they finish it in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burnt ones? In one place, Tobiah even said, even if they do build it, if a fox was to jump up on it, it would fall down and it would break. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing they have like an English accent to them, you know. It's like, what are they doing, Grey Poupon? You know, they will, they will never accomplish this work. 
they used distractions. They would send messengers to Nehemiah, and while he was busy working, they would try to convince him to come down and say, listen, um, we'd like to talk to you. We'd like to get together and, and have some tea, and we would like to talk about what you're doing. And they would try to create these meeting places that they would have to get him off of the work. And Nehemiah would respond, would such a man as me leave the good work that I am accomplishing? They would try deception. They would send messengers to Nehemiah and to all the workers and say, listen, there's an army building up, and they're going to come and they're going to invade, so you better run and hide in the temple because, Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. And the whole plot was a lie, but what they wanted to do is to have Nehemiah run and hide in the temple, and then they were going to open up the temple doors and mock him for being a scaredy cat. And then they were going to make him out to be a coward in front of all the people. But Nehemiah didn't fall for it. But they, they used deception, distractions. They used discouragement. But they also used disturbance. There were times when the enemy would begin messing with the work inside the walls. They would start to try to mess with the building supplies and, and what was going on inside of the walls to try to get the progress to stop. But Nehemiah was determined to protect this house. I mean, this isn't just a commercial. This is real life for Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4.9 says, And we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. And then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space between the wall, the exposed places. And this is so important. And I stationed the people in families. I mean, this was something that families were a part of. This was not just something that the priest or the preacher or the pastor was involved in. But this was something that families were involved in. And I stationed people in families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And when I saw their fear, I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters and your wives and your houses. See, we kind of have a Christianity that we just pray to God that God will deliver us from evil. And, and there is a part of this that's exactly what they did. But there was also a part of how God was going to work his protection by having daddy and mommy and brother and sister and neighbor all lined up together with their swords and their spears and their bows together. That they were, as a family, were going to stand in the gap for what was the work of God and they were going to make their stand for it. And Nehemiah continues in verse 16, and it came about from that day on, from that day on, that half of my servants carried on the work while, the, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole wall. So when you were finished working on the wall, and your shift was over, you got a little bit of a break, and then you came back, and you had a spear and a sword, and a shield in your hand protecting the other workers. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work 
and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. Now, I know there's a lot of army military lingo here in this narrative, but I want you to see how intentional and how systematic Nehemiah was being about protecting the work of God, about protecting families, about protecting what was being accomplished, about protecting the future. And whether it was walls, gates, or swords, Nehemiah determined that he was going to protect the work of God on behalf of God, that he was going to station the defense. And that's what took place. They prayed and asked God to deliver them from evil, and then they stationed themselves to be a part of that deliverance from evil, to take their place as families, as individuals, to not only do the work of God, but to protect what God was doing in their lives. And they engaged this process, and they were stationed. I think as we build, we face the exact same challenges. I mean, the exact same challenges. Whether it's a godly lifestyle, whether it's a uh, godly home, whether it's godly relationships, I think we face the exact same challenges that Nehemiah and the people of Israel were facing. I think we face the enemy of discouragement. There are times when we hear in our heads or we hear from other people about the failures that we've done in the past and we have to face them. The shame that constantly speaks to us as we're doing our work and attacks us and tells us, you know, nothing's going to be different about your life. You're just going to be the same. You're going to fail again. You messed up. Somebody like you does not deserve to be happy after they've screwed up so much in their lives. I think a lot of us face distractions from the outside. Things that, that are going on in the world around us that we are paying attention to, whether it's with other people, whether it's our schedules, or whether it's our busyness. I think we get distracted, not only from the work of God, but from protecting what God is doing in our lives. We, we get busy with our kids and, and the things and the demands, or we get focused on things that are going in the, on in the world, and we just drop our guard. We don't protect what God is doing. We allow the enemy, we allow distractions, discouragement, whatever they may be, come into our lives and disrupt it. I think a lot of us are facing deception, that we're believing in something that is not true. Whether it comes from the world or whether it's something from our own heads, whether it's from something that uh, is just a philosophy of life that I think sometimes we believe a lie. We, we think that something's different than, than what God is saying, and we, we follow after that. And then I think the, the fourth thing that we face is disturbance. And disturbance is different than distractions. Distractions are things from the outside that kind of distract what my attention and what I'm focusing on. But disturbance is something different. And when I was looking at this, the usage of this word, it means um, a, a wandering that a disturbance means that like you had a preordained path that you or your family or your marriage was on, but someplace inside of you there's kind of like a, a wandering 
from the intentionality of the plan or what God was doing in your life. There's a, a staggering away from the original plan that was put in place. And I think we need to station our guards. And I think we can learn from Nehemiah. I think we can learn from walls, gates, and from swords. Because we do need walls. We need, we need boundaries. We need objective truth in our life. What is right and what is wrong? What is God? What is not God? What is God's plan for our lives? What does he want us to see happen? What, what is it that he's displeased with? I mean, I think we need those walls in our lives to kind of contain us. I can't tell you how many times the walls of God, those, those principles, those objective truths that are, that are timeless, have kept me from a wandering, from going someplace where I shouldn't go or doing something that I shouldn't do. You know, and it's like, well, Paul, you're just a better person. That's why you've been married for 30 years and have a great marriage. No, I am a man with walls. You know, I, I have a wall. Then I do not go to lunch with women. You know, and it's like, well, you're afraid of women? No, I'm, af- I'm afraid of me. And I don't want to scare anybody out here. I'm not afraid. You can do a sled check on me. I'm a pretty cool guy. And I, I mean, I really am a pretty cool guy. But it's like, what do I need to, you know, I, I see men all the time falling to adultery. You know, how does that happen? How did, how, you know, we all hear the story at work and find out, you know, so-and-so left his wife. It's like, how did they happen? They seem so happy. Is it because he's a worse man than, than Pastor Paul? No, he's not a worse man. That's why when I, a man comes to me and he's announced to me that he's cheated on his wife, I'm not like, geek, 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 killing the guy. I'm like, there's a guy without walls. There's a guy that's not being guided by objective truth. Someplace along the line, he decided that he would not have boundaries. And now, I don't want your boundaries, and I'm not looking for America's boundaries because America's here today, and, you know, someday it may not be here. And not only that, you really don't, who, you, you're not the mom of me. So, you know, I'm not going to let really too many people tell me what I should be doing with my life. I need some objective principle, some kind of eternal concept of what love is, what truth is, what, what is good and what is bad. And, and for me and for my house, we have chosen that the word of God is that, that objective truth. But without some sort of form of objective truth, you, you will have trespassers all the time. Ideas, ideologies, philosophies, things that, thoughts that will come into your head that will cross your property line, and all of a sudden you'll be sitting down to the dinner table, whether it's in your head or in your lifestyle or in your family, and there'll be somebody sitting there, and you're like, how did we get there? How did we let this in our house or be a part of our thinking? Like Nehemiah, we need gates. And I think gates represent discernment. See, because you can open and close the gate. And at a gate, that's where you put your station, where you decide, check, check the papers. What, what's your business here? What is your intentionality? Should you be inside the city or outside of the city? See, discernment comes to us from the word of God and through the spirit of God. It gives you that ability to begin to decide whether or not all things should be coming into our house. We'll talk about that a little bit more 
Um, but a lot of us don't have discernment. We just have maybe a belief system, but we just have open gates. And we just allow everything to come in and come out. And I know we've been told in this postmodern society that you've got to have an open mind. An open mind to what? You know, a ditch and a well are both holes in the ground. One collects runoff, the other one brings forth life, drinkable water. An open mind doesn't mean you're going to end up with anything other than runoff. Runoff from society, runoff from life experiences. So we kind of like, no, you gotta be open-minded. You know, you, you got only about 70 years on this planet, 75 years on this planet, all of you over 75, yahoo to you. It's great. But you know what? You got one set of kids probably. You got one marriage. And if you're going to open up your, your family to allow our society to figure out what's good for you and your kids, <laughs> I, good, good luck with that. I mean, it, I won't get a caught on that so much. So let's talk about the next thing. We need to have walls. We need to have gates. And we also need to have swords. And I know you're like, oh, I meant, you know, it doesn't sound very Christian. But look at it this way. We need to have discipline and vigilance. And I kind of put those two words together to form a third word. We need to have diligence. It's when we are actively involved in being diligent about what's going on in my life. And I'm willing to do the deep cuts of rooting out a bad attitude in my life. I'm willing to be diligent about what is the quality of my marriage, the way that I talk to my wife. And I have to be willing to cut some things out in that relationship. You can't talk to her that way. You can't communicate that way to your children. And I've got to be willing to do the diligent work of finding out what's going on in my marriage. What's going on in the life of my children? Now, you may think I'm totally crazy. But if you want God's best, you've got to put your hand to the good work, and part of that is protecting the good work. Paul used different metaphors to describe the exact same thing, and he kind of uses different ways that he uses, like a, the armory of a, a Roman soldier that he was probably tied to at the time. Or, so he, he, has, he uses different metaphors, but it's the same message. Listen to it out of Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not trying to beat people. But against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the, the breastplate of righteousness and having shod or covered your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to it, taking up the shield of faith 
with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The guard is the same. The principles of God's word, the discernment of God's spirit, the diligence of discipleship in your own life and in the life of your family and the life of your marriage. So let me ask you a tough question. Have you stationed or set a guard over your heart as an individual? Is there, is there some sort of guard over you? Or do you just allow, your, allow anything in the gates of your life? I mean, is there a wall, a boundary of how far you would go or how far you will let an ideology, a philosophy go in your own personal life? I mean, is there, is there some sort of gate that you use to monitor what comes into your eyes, what comes into your ears, what comes into your, into your life? Or is it just wide open? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, and this is above all else, not, not just a, in addition to, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything. But do we have anything guarding our hearts? Is there an objective truth? Is, there, is God's word protecting us? Are we discerning what enters in and out of our lives? Are we involved in, in swordsmanship, meaning we're doing the deep cut work of discipleship and deciding I need to cut that out of my life and I, and, and I need to remove it out of my life or I need to add something into my life? Have you stationed a guard over your marriage? Have you stationed a guard over your dating? I mean, do you just walk into a bar and have a few drinks, buy somebody a drink, and then hope God's going to bless you with an incredible 30-year marriage? I mean, is, is that how it's done? I mean, is, is there any guard over how you're, you're doing relationships? How, you know, guys, are you protecting your marriage? You know, there is no perfect man here. There is no guy here. It, if, I, I just, I will not be graphic, okay? So don't worry. I know you get a little nervous. Like, oh, he's so crazy. They have to edit his sermons in order to put him online. Uh, it's like, I hope that every married man here has a strong and vibrant libretto, okay? I, I hope you're passionate men. But you know what? It has to be protected. It has to be protected. You know, and so ladies, don't freak if your husband's walking around with software on his phone to protect him from going to some other, some website to see pornography. See, pornography's a bully. It just stands there. I mean, men are one click away from it. And all of a sudden, you're there, and you're like, oh, crap, man, I should have looked at that. I was like, ah. I mean, I let that thing into my life. But it's one click away. When I was growing up, you had to have a raincoat and pull into a shady shopping center that used to be, a, you know, a Kmart. And then you had to go in, and you had to, then you had to go in and get your magazines, and you came out. And, you know, and you had to hope the surveillance camera didn't see you. You don't have to do that anymore. You just have to go to the bottom of that. Oh, look at that. Boom. Oh, well, I can't believe I'm seeing this. 
But you know what? A man of God is not a perfect man, but a man of God is a man with a shovel and a sword in his hand because he knows he's got to protect what God, the good work that God is doing in his life. So let me ask you, are you protecting your marriage? The way that you talk about your husband when he's not in the room. Are you protecting your family on what you're exposing, allowing them to be exposed to? Have you stationed a guard over your home? Now, parents, you're going to have to buckle up for this one. I'm going to read you some stuff that I, I, it's, just, it's just crazy. The average youth today, the average usage of their, their smartphone whether it's listening to music, surfing the web, watching TV, social media, or playing games, the average usage is nine hours a day. That's the average, okay? So that means, figure it out, they're sleeping sometime, and they're supposed to be going to school sometime, and then there's nine hours that the average student youth is watching or is on the Internet. According to recent data, 90% of young men by the age of 80, 18, 90% by the age of 18 have been exposed to hardcore pornography, much of which involves violence and overly explicit imagery. And I will add to that misogyny. Okay, the worst treatment of women imaginable. 90% uh, of young men by the age of 18 will have been exposed to it. Here's the sick part. Of the 90%, the average age that these m young men will be sexualized, we need to call it that because that's what's happening. Your children are being sexualized. I want you to hear that it sounds like a victimization that's taking place. By the time these young men are being sexualized, the average age that it occurs is the age of eight. Okay? So... I'm, I'm really resisting using a cuss word again this week, but what the heck are, are we doing as parents, okay? And I'm not talking about somebody else's kids. I'm talking about our kids. Well, we let them use the Internet. Really? I mean, really? By the age of eight, a little boy, I mean, that's my grandson Paulie's age. He's just... You know, he's got jets in his hand. He's, and you're telling me that kid is going to see hardcore misogynist pornography at the age of eight. Man, what's this world coming to? It's got nothing to do with the world. It's got to do with moms and dads who don't have the, to put up a wall to hang gates and to do the work of diligence in the family. That's all it is. The world's not forcing itself into my house. I pay for it $60 a month. I invite the sucker into my house. You know, well, we should be able to trust our kids. Are you, are you out of your mind? You can trust your kids. You can trust that a 17-year-old kid or a 15-year-old boy is very much interested in boobies. Okay? You say that's inappropriate? Let me just tell you, if it will save your family to give you the truth, that if you have a 15-year-old boy that's not interested in, in pretty naked women, you, there's something else going on. But you've got to protect that boy's mind. 
What we're ending up is with a feminist society that thinks there's something wrong with men. Well, that something wrong with men didn't just happen by accident. It happened because men, as young boys, were not protected by walls, gates, and by the, the sword of, of discipleship. We let it happen to us. And what we need is, is 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, turning it this week, 60-year-olds that are willing to still put gates up, put walls up, and still have the sort of discipleship in their lives. That's the only way it's going to get done with. But if you're waiting for Comcast, do you know that Amazon is the number one supplier of pornography in the world? Every one of, number one. Do you know that Netflix is loaded with pornography? You know, how did it get there? $11 a month. I pay for Netflix, $11 a month. It comes right into my house. Oh, it's, okay. So let me read you a couple more statistics. Um, okay, now, 80% of this exposure of your children um, is, is not voluntary. Okay, they didn't go looking for it. And this is another thing. We don't have bad kids, okay? Kids are rotten today. No. 80% of this exposure is, is not something they went for. It happened, and 80% of the occurrence happened while they were home. So who's that on? The pornographer? Nope. The kid? Nope. The one that's supposed to put up walls, gates, and, and do the work of diligence. 71% of teens keep their online habits from their parents. Okay? You know what that tells me? 71% of parents are afraid of their kids. And don't want them not to be their friend anymore. I don't mean to be mocking, but that's exactly what it is. My girls will tell you that when I caught them on, a, on their phone talking to a boy that they were not authorized to talk to, that phone was sticking three inches out of the drywall by the time it was over. Well, you can't do that today. Listen. If you want your girls to marry great men, if you want, if you want your boys to marry great women, okay, then somebody's got to establish some walls, some gates, and, so, and, and some diligence in the home. And if you're afraid of your 13-year-old telling you it's not your business, so one time my daughter at the age 13 slammed her door in my face at our house, the next thing she heard was, honey, you may want to get away from the door and me coming through it. She did not earn her door back for a year. You say, well, you're this militantistic, chauvinistic, misogynist, white dude that we, were tr we need to get rid of. No. Don't marginalize me. I'm just a guy who wants to raise kids that know God that haven't been exposed to pornography by the time they're eight, that have a chance of having a great marriage and loving God. And that's worth fighting for. And he, that includes if I have to fight them. Here's an interesting correlation. 60% of families who give their children smartphones do so at the age of 10 and 11. That almost directly corresponds to the age that that child 
sees pornography for the first time. 20% give their children phones between the ages of 8 and 9. This is, the, this is, in fact, the same age that the average child in our nation is exposed to voluntary and involuntary explicit material. We hand them a smartphone, and, you know, that's it. We put a computer in the room and let them shut their doors. So... If you're letting a 13-year-old boy have a computer in his room and shut the door, I will guarantee you, your boy is looking for pornography. And you say, well, he's not that kind of boy. Well, you want him to be that kind of boy. I mean, thinking about the opposite sex is a God thing, okay? And about 13, there's some physiological changes going on. What's not godly is that you're not guiding them through this, that you're not having conversations with them about this, that you're just saying, hey, get in the room. I mean, shoot, I would think it'd be better if you let your 13-year-old drive a car than to have a computer in the room with the door shut. Serious. I think it'd be better to let, let a 12-year-old drive a car instead of giving them a smartphone. Will all the kids have it? Do you see what, do you know that like 70% of middle students cut themselves? I mean, okay, so I think you got, you got enough of this. Um, and here's the thing. It's not because we have a big bad world. And it's not because somebody is violating us, though that does happen. It's because godly men and women, moms and dads, just have not stationed a guard over their home. Well, when they're 18, they're going to get into it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's them, and that's between them and the Lord. But they will have for a moment tasted what truth and goodness and rightness is all about. And the Word of God promises us, train up a child in the way that they should go, and in the end, they shall return. Means doesn't mean that you're guaranteed that they become Christian, but it does say that that truth will go with them for, throughout their lives, and it will always be something that they will have to deal with in their lives. Nehemiah didn't ignore the world around him or its threats. He wasn't fearful about it either, and I don't want you walking away from here fearful, but neither was he neglectful. And we have a promise from God that if we will put the walls and the gates and that we'll grab the swords of diligence and discipleship in our lives. We're told in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, can you say this with me today? I will protect my relationship with God. I will protect my marriage. I will protect my children. Even if it's uncool, even if it restricts my liberties, I should be able to watch whatever I want to watch on TV. Well, are you willing to put a gate on your liberties? Even if it goes against your genetics, well, this is the way that I am. Fine. How about hanging a gate on that? How about building a wall even against your anger, your temperament, whatever it may be? Even if it ticks off your kids. Mom, Dad, you know, I'll never talk to you. Well, I don't know how that would scare you. <laughs> so let me ask you in closing, and it's, 
this is not a source of guilt, but I just, I just hope it's a, a wake-up call. And, and I am a little bit further down the road than some of you. My kids are grown up. And I've, I am tasting the benefits of a 30-year great marriage. But I'm the guy that walks around with an anti-porn software on my phone and on my computers. It's like, well, dude, you should be better than that. No, I'm not. That's a lie. Jeremiah said, the human heart is desperately wicked above all things. Paul said, the things I shouldn't do, dang it, I do them. The things I should do, I don't do them. Oh, wretched man that I am. And that was an apostle of God who said that. Then he said, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And at that point, he began setting guards over his life to protect his life. Let me ask you to consider, are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your marriage? Are you guarding your family? Father, we enter into this moment, and you have done a great work for us. You have given us the kingdom of heaven. You have given us all goodness and righteousness and truth, and you've put it right there. And with one hand, you've asked us to take that good work and to lay our hands to that good work. And to the other, you have told us to gird ourselves with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit of God, to put peace on our feet and to stand against all the enemies that would bring down our minds, our marriages, and our families. So, Father, in this moment, we surrender to you. And God, we pick up our responsibility. We station ourselves in your kingdom as not only benefactors, but protectors of this good work that you're doing in our lives and want to do in our children's lives. Let me invite you to come and receive the body and blood of Christ, the great defense of our hearts. Knowing this, that though he suffered the evil of the cross, on the third day he rose again victorious, showing each and every one of us that no matter what our society does, no matter what we have done in our past, we can build a new life the Spirit of God.